Good day, good day, and thank you for tuning in to the Century Leadership Podcast. We are a culture of resources and relationships for spiritual leaders. I'm your host, Jordan Matthew Ward, and today we have a very special treat for you. This is the message that Pastor Greg Surratt shared at the Century Leadership Conference in April of 2017. Pastor Greg and his family are located out in South Carolina. He is the senior pastor of Seacoast Church. He's an author, conference speaker, and co-founder of the Association of Related Churches, aka ARC. If this is your first time tuning in, you may be asking yourself, what is Century Leadership all about? Century Leadership was born in 2013 with a simple but bold vision build leaders for the next 100 years. We do this by creating a culture of resources and relationships that encourage and equip spiritual leaders to lead courageously. A century leader is committed to grow, a century leader is committed to create, and a century leader is committed to invest. In this message, Pastor Greg visits the implications of the question, if nothing were impossible, what would you do for God? So without any further delay, let's go ahead and jump into this and listen to what Pastor Greg has to share with us. I want to just tell you up front, uh, I don't have all the answers. In fact, sometimes I wonder why they asked me to speak at these kind of things. I saw the video at Southwestern, Assemblies of God University. It used to be Southwestern AG College when I went there and I got kicked out uh, uh, after a semester, almost a full semester at Southwestern and, and then a full semester at Evangel and, um, and, and, um, and then was fired for my first three jobs as a youth pastor uh, in the Assemblies of God. And so um, some of you are going, why are we listening to you? Because my mom used to tell me, everybody's good for something, even if it's just to be a bad example. How of you know that? And so hopefully you'll get something out of this. What I don't want to be is an expert. In fact, I did a podcast this morning. I do one uh, Monday through Thursday on my Facebook page. And this morning I did one um, about uh, never be an expert uh, because an expert kind of assumes that you have reached the pinnacle of learning in whatever field that you're in, and it's all downhill from there. And I don't wanna be an expert, you don't need to be an expert. Uh, let's not be know-it-alls, let's be learn-it-alls. How's that? Let's be learn-it-alls. And that's what I am, I'm just uh, a learner on the, on the way. And I wanna just talk to you for a few minutes this morning about, I, I titled it, Four Questions That Have Shaped Our Journey at Seacoast Church and also through the Ark. And I have 40 minutes, and so if, um, if I get going too long, it'll be three questions that shaped our journey, and, uh, or, or perhaps two questions that shaped our journey. You guys know how that goes, right? I've tried to front load the, the good ones, and uh, actually, we'll try to, we'll try to get them all uh, to you. But four questions that shaped our journey along the line that maybe you can learn some leadership principles uh, about. Here's the first question, and it's this. If nothing were impossible, what would I attempt for God? If nothing were impossible, what would I attempt for God? 30 years ago, we moved from 
Uh, We grew up in Denver, Colorado, but we moved from Northern Illinois where I was pastoring a small church in a farming community. And somebody was here that preached for us when we were just a small group up in Northern Illinois. came up to me before the service. But um, we moved to Charleston, South Carolina 30 years ago. And 29 years ago on Easter, we celebrated our 29th uh, anniversary this Easter, we started Seacoast Church with a big vision. What, we, we were just Pentecostal preachers' kids, uh, myself from Denver and some others from Scotland, and we wanted to reach unchurched people. Now, that's kind of hip and cool today, but back in the day, 30 years ago, it just really wasn't kind of on the radar screen. There were a couple of people that were doing it. Bill Hybels was the only one that I knew that was doing anything, and we, he was just not very far from where I was, Illinois, and he was just getting started, really. At Willow Creek had, hadn't been going that, that long, but we wanted to reach unchurched people with the good news of the gospel. We had no idea how to do that, and so we uh, called 16,000 homes uh, in the area that we wanted to go to. And we asked them a question, if, uh, do you attend church? And they said, if they said yes, we said, great, keep going. If they said no, we said, well, why do you think people don't attend church? And what we found was, uh, at least in our area, it wasn't a theological issue. People really didn't have an issue with God. It was sociological. They had an issue with church. And they told us a bunch of things. They asked for money all the time. It's weird or it's boring or, you know, the music we don't relate or there's nothing for our kids, whatever. And so what we said is we said, you know what, if we started a church that addressed some of those issues, would you come? And, and so, and so, uh, they, they did. The first week we had 340 people. It was amazing. We were in a movie theater and it totally filled the theater up. And, and so I called my buddy who was at our home church in Denver, Colorado, and he's the youth pastor there. And he and I grew up together. I said, Terry, you got to quit. You got to come out here. I need help. We're having revival here. It's unbelievable. I said, we had 340 people this week. Probably by the end of the month, we'll have 500, you know, uh, we'll, we'll be at a thousand in six months. They'll be writing us up in charisma magazine, you know, not, not too long. So you, you need to quit your job and come. And so he did. And we had revival, all right. We had a Gideon revival where we had less people every week than we had the week before. Nobody told me about church planting that it always drops off at first which we know that now in the ark. We plant churches. In fact, some of your Assembly of God churches here in Oklahoma, I'm sure we've helped you to plant. That's what we want to do. We, I was telling somebody that, that uh, just about all of our fruit grows on somebody else's tree because we're about planting churches, not about competing with denominations. And we're excited for what you guys are doing here in Oklahoma. But anyway, uh, I, nobody told me that the churches like they have a lot the first week and then they fall off the next week. And it did, but ours didn't start growing, didn't grow. In fact, we had less people every week for the first three years. Um, we, I, I tried to resign. I went to the elders of our planting church and they said, you started this mess. You got to keep it going. You know, we don't have anybody else that wants to go there. And so, and so it took us five years to even get back to our original day's attendance. You say, well, what was that about? Well, I asked Lynn Sweet, I don't know if anybody knows Lynn Sweet, but I asked Lynn Sweet, he writes books about that one time. And he said, you know, Greg, he said, in the, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, he said there were a lot of Willow Creek clones that were up a creek without a hybels. And that's kind of how we were. <laughs> 
You know, they had Bill, we had me, you know, and we had bad drama. I don't know if back in the day they used to have dramas and you'd come out to preach after a drama and there's nothing worse than coming out. People are furious because it has been so bad or insulting or whatever and you've got to preach after that. It was terrible. And finally we rediscovered our roots and worship and all of that. And, and so we started to grow a little bit. And like I said, by the time our fifth year, we like to call ourselves the slowest growing megachurch in the world. It took us five years to get back to our original first day attendance. So don't give up, okay? That's the point there, don't give up. I've wanted to many times. But, uh, but, but, but I remember we had 350 people after five years. I was like, my goodness, what are we gonna do with all these people? I mean, we've got, you know, 12 kids in the nursery and you, I don't know what we're gonna do. We've never had this many people before. And so I went to the beach, which fortunately is close to me. I know you guys have a lot of beach here. You just don't have water. Uh, but we have, we have water and beach and sand. And so I went out to the beach and, and I took a, 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 a Diet Coke and a, a, a Bible and a notebook and I asked that question that I just gave you. I said, if nothing were impossible, and here's what I pray, and I pray this every week at our church now. Started praying it then. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth, that's Mount Pleasant where I live, Charleston area, as it's done in heaven. What would it look like if your will was being done in our community and in our church? What would it look like? If nothing were impossible, God's will was being done, what would it look like? And so I just began to think about that. And I took my notebook and I began to write it down. I, I thought, okay, what, what, what would that look like? And I thought about it, I thought about it. And pretty soon a number dropped into my mind. This is 1993. And you gotta realize that from 1988 to 1993, we had now grown all the way back to our original day's attendance. And I thought, what if we could reach 2,000 people by the year 2000? It's just a thought, maybe it was God. I think it was at this point. But we had nothing in our background that said we could reach people. But, but what, if nothing were impossible and God's will was being done, would he want that? I thought, yeah, he would want that. God wants people, their marriages healed. How many of you would agree with that? God wants people who will spend their eternity with Jesus. Would you agree with that? Well, why wouldn't he want to bless our church? Why wouldn't he want to grow our church? So I took my notebook and over the next several days, I just began to calculate it out. Okay, if, if we grew by X percent per year um, and, and we know how many of those are kids and how many are adults and when would we need small group leaders and how many would we need and when would we need to multiply services? And I put it on a spreadsheet and I had a whole notebook called Vision 2000. Now, I didn't show it to anybody because I didn't know whether it was bad burritos or God at the time, if you know what that's like. But I kept it on my desk and... I referred to it, and you know what? In 1999, we reached 2,000 people. It was an amazing, we just watched it happen along the way as we, as we wrote the vision out. And then I began to share it before we reached it, began to, began to share the vision and, and what God seemed to, be, seemed to be sharing with me. Now, transferable principles. Uh, I would ask you this. In your church or in your area of ministry, what would you attempt if you were 10 times bolder than what you are right now? Do, do, do you feel like you are bumping at the very edges of God's kingdom and God's will for you in the area that you're in? Or could you be bolder? Could you be bolder by a factor 
of 10. We call it, at Seacoast, we, we call it tiny heart syndrome when, when we'll have goal setting times for our staff and somebody will come in with a goal that we think is really, it's not stretch and it's, it's really, you know, God wouldn't even be, have to be involved in that for that to happen. And so we'll put THS, tiny heart syndrome on it and say, go back and pray just a little bit more. And maybe you have tiny heart syndrome. Doesn't mean, you know, I, I was uh, talking with a staff one time that had been going through a really hard time in their church and, and, um, and they'd kind of come through it. And now they were kind of looking at what could we be in the future? And I said, well, what, how do you think God could bless? And if you had a growth goal, what would it be? And it was like, you know, two and a half, three times of how many people were attending church they wanted that many next year. And they said, do you think we can get there? And I said, well, anything's possible, but probably not. Because we far overestimate what we can do and God can do through us in a year and far underestimate what God can do in us and through us in 10 years. I said, you could probably grow by 5% though if you would make that as a goal, maybe 10%. So they wrote it down, I called them back and God's blessing their, their efforts and, and, it's, and it's doing well. But are we writing the vision down? What would we attempt if we were 10 times bolder? Are we writing it down? Is it simple and clear enough that somebody could read it while they text and drive? <laughs> All right, we, we've, we've gone through a process in our church to simplify, simplify, simplify the vision. In fact, our vision is that we exist so people can know God, can grow in their faith, they can discover their purpose, and they can make a difference. Those are the four things that we do. Know God, grow in their faith, um, discover their purpose and make a difference. It's a part of every message. It's a part of messaging. It's everywhere. It's a simple, simple, simple vision. It's written down. So, so the first question that impacted our journey is if nothing were impossible, what would I attempt for God? Here's the second one that uh, impacted our journey. And that's how can our current limitations be used as a catalyst for future growth. How can our current limitations be used as a catalyst for future growth? How many of you would say that there are limitations in your, in your area of ministry right now? Just raise your hand. How many of you would say there are a few limitations? Okay, there, listen, there's money limitations, there are talent limitations, there, uh, there's all kind of limitations. Well, what about this? What if, listen to me closely, what would you do if you knew there were no limits? What would you do if you knew there were no limits? I've got some slides. Can we put them up? The first one is a girl running up some stairs. Can we get that one? Yeah, here she is. And I mean, she's tough and she's running upstairs. She says, limitations only exist if you let them. She says, I love these posters. I've got motivational posters in my Pinterest account. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. I, I know who I am. Pinterest, it's good. So anyway, go, go on the next one. Go on the next one. Limitations live only in our minds, but if we use our imaginations, our possibilities become limitless. Boy, that's inspiring. Go to the next one. Um, Superman says, I acknowledge that my rel relatively low tolerance to kryptonite is a substantial limitation. So here's the point. You do have limits. Those other two posters, they aren't true. They're wonderfully motivating but even Superman has limits. So what do you do with your limitations? Look at this next one. It says, know your limitations and then ignore them. I love that. There's this guy up here on running with only a leg and a half and he's up on a, 
mountain thing. And he says, I know I have limits, but I'm going to ignore them. Look at the next one. Limitations, this is a guy that's got this truck and he obviously put too big of a rock. He says, it's better to know them and be called a wimp than to ignore them and be called a dumbass. So you said, did he say that? Listen, I'm from South Carolina. Dumbass is a, is a stupid fish. How many of you know you don't want to be a stupid fish? Okay? All right? That's right. That's right. They won't ask me back next year, but that, that's a good slide. Listen to me. Nothing is impossible with God. That was the first, that was the first question. What if, what if nothing were impossible? What would I do? Nothing is impossible with God, but you have limitations. You have them, okay? In fact, look at Paul's teachings on limitations. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse, or chapter 12 and verse 7, it says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me break that down just a little bit in kind of four or five principles there that Paul gives us. Here's what we know about limitations. Number one, everybody has them. I have them. You have them. It says, you were given. I was given. It's not, like, it's not like this is a surprise to God. It's not like God went, oh, my bad, sorry. I meant, meant that for somebody else. No. You were given certain limitations. And secondly, they have a purpose. It says, to keep me from being conceited. For in his particular situation, God knew his personality, and he knew that if he didn't have whatever it is, maybe it's an ideal, maybe it's a speech thing, we don't know, we're, we're, we're not sure. But there was a purpose in the limitations to keep him from being conceited. And if you have limitations, which you do, there are purposes in them. Uh, here's the third principle, it's okay to ask for God to take them away, okay? Three times he says, he pleaded, God, could you just take this away from me? It's okay, it's okay. If there's a limitation that seems to be stopping you or stopping your family and, and you go, man, I wish this didn't exist, it's okay to pray and to assail God on it, all right? But here's the fourth principle. You can either whine about them or rejoice in them. You need to talk about them all the time as a reason. Man, this is hard ground. I remember when we went to Freeport, Illinois. Um, I went to a ministerial association and I told them that I was new and with the Assembly of God Church there and told them where it was. They said, oh man, that's a preacher killer. This is hard, hard ground. I thought, I'm not coming back to this meeting anymore, okay? Because you can either whine about it can whine about the limitations, whatever they are. Some of them are very, very real. That one wasn't. But some of them are very, very, you have financial limitations. You know, uh, some of you would love to have a worship band like the worship band up here and, and your lead worship singer can't carry a tune in a bucket. 
It's okay. I went and heard a famous country music person the other night who's made millions who can't sing either. It's called auto-tune, auto-tune. Invest in that, okay? (laughs) Paul said, you know what? I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses because here's the fifth principle is that God will use them if you let him. He says, my power is made perfect in weaknesses. How many of you think Paul did okay with his weaknesses? He did all right. Wrote most of the New Testament. Greatest evangelist the world has ever known, missionary. Because he said, you know, I'd like to be rid of these things, but as long as I got them, I'm going to boast in them. And and God used them for his glory. There are benefits in, in limitations. Limitations help you grow. They help you grow. I know I like to do photography. Anybody else do photography in here? I'm kind of an amateur photographer and I've got cameras and you know big lenses and all that kind of thing. And I've gone to just a little tiny mirrorless that I carry with me because it helps me to be limited. So it, it, when I'm just, in fact, I'll carry just one lens. It will help me to get better at just, just doing that one lens. It's helped me to become a better photographer. They, they, they help you grow. Limitations actually increase your freedom. Here's a story. You guys have heard this. Um, several universities did this. They're kind of studying creativity and stuff. And, and so they went to ele- a little preschool or maybe elementary school and they had a playground built with no fences. There were no fences. And what they noticed is as the little kids came out to play, rather than explore the very edges of the playground, they all gathered right in the middle. They had this total openness to go wherever they wanted. So they went to another one and they built fence around it. And what they discovered is the kids went all around to the entire playground because limitations, limitations actually um, increase our, our freedom. Limitations stimulate creativity. They stimulate creativity. Listen, when the budget is limited, you get creative. How have you know that? Some of you know our story. We, um, we, were, uh, we were growing as a church and and so, and, and we're in the Bible Belt, okay? It's actually not. The buckle of the Bible Belt's Greenville. We're in Charleston, and Charleston's in South Carolina, and South Carolina's part of the Bible Belt, but Charleston is kind of a, a cosmopolitan city. You've got people coming from all over the world. People have houses there and all this. So it's a little different from other parts of the South. But we're, but, but, but we're in the middle of the Bible Belt, and our church began to grow, and we wanted to build a larger building, about 16 years ago. And um, we went through a process with our city and a one-year process. And I thought, well, this, this will just, it'll be okay. We have favor and all this. We got down to the last meeting and because of a crazy political thing that was going on in our city, they voted, um, not only could we not build, we couldn't build a new building, but we, um, they zoned our land that we had just bought for four and a half million dollars all around us, zoned it that you couldn't build anything on it. And that was the number one story on the front of the newspaper for a week. It was in the newspapers for a month. It was on the news every night. They used words like, that's back when Walmart was a dirty word. They said, Seacoast Church wants to build a building bigger than Walmart, if you can imagine that. It's front page and a picture of me and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going, God, what's wrong with that? I remember at that meeting, I remember at that meeting that... um, that, that I was so discouraged, I went back to my office 
And I did what I do when I'm a little, a little down is I, uh, I turned off the lights and I, I closed the shades and I turned on some country music. Because in country music, they always lose stuff. You, you understand what I'm saying? They, you know, lose a dog, lose a truck, you know, lose a girlfriend. And I, I just wanted to, how do you know, sometimes you just want a pity party. You don't want somebody to tell you, it's gonna be okay, because it's not. Right, you been there? You been there? Lady in my church one time said, pastor, I was talking about this kind of stuff. She said, pastor, it's okay to sit on the pity potty so long as you don't sit there long enough to get ring around the hiney. And I thought, that'll preach. Somewhere it'll preach. So I'm in my office. And I'm thinking, this is the worst thing in the world. How am I going to spend this one? We have four and a half million dollars of land that, by the way, we didn't buy cash. The bank owned. We can't build a bigger building. We're doing five services right now. What are we going to do? And here's the thought that came to mind. I just alluded to it earlier. And that's this. That God is omniscient. I didn't stay long enough at Southwestern to learn that. (laughs) God is omniscient. How do you know it's real hard to surprise an omniscient God? Okay? God never had a day where he said, I didn't see that coming. My bad. Here's what's important about that. And some of you need this, this, of anything else today, that I have to say, this is important to you. Um, there's a surprise in your life. It might be in your family with one of your kids. It could be with your health. It might be a surprise in your ministry, okay? And while it's a surprise to you, it's not a surprise to God. Why is that important? Because if it's not a surprise to God, according to Romans 8, 28, he's at work on a solution before you even knew there was a problem, okay? That's God's word to you. And I got that while I was sitting in my office that day. God's omniscient. And he's at work on the solution. What is the solution? Well, I don't have time to tell you, but that led us on a journey to kind of discover, along with some folks that are right down the road here, and we did it together, Life Church, of discovering how we can do church in more than one location. And and multi-site grew out of that, was born out of that. And you know what? We've still not built that big building, but we've grown by tens of thousands and we have locations, 13 locations all over South Carolina and one in North Carolina. And and why, 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 why? Because a limitation forced us to get creative. Here's what I say. I say creativity is just... Is, is, is uh, let me read what I said because I forgot it real quick. <laughs> you ever done that? Creativity is just desperation in a pretty package. Would you agree with that? And there may be something right now in your church. In fact, let's, let's show that next slide. As a team, maybe we want to look at what are we and what do we want to be? And there's always a gap between those two, Okay. As a team, what's the limitation that we face between where we are now and where we want to be? And how can we allow God to turn it into a strength? We're not going to whine about it. We're not going to complain about it. We've asked God and we continue to to take it away. But at some point when it looks like it's not going away, we say, God, how how can you use this 
and turn it into a strength like you did for Paul. Okay, that's, that's a couple of questions. Let me get to the third one. We're gonna get at least three, okay? Here's number three. How can we give our people what they want instead of what they think they want? How can we give our people what they want instead of what they think they want? That, this question sparked the most significant innovation in our church. Okay, so here's what happened in the early years at Seacoast. I alluded to the fact that we didn't grow. And it was a very, very painful time. Understand our church, there were three streams that came together. We were planted by a great uh, uh, charismatic church, um, just, a, just a good church. And so there were 50 people that came with us from that church. And then there was a little word of faith church that, um, that closed its doors the day that we opened ours. And... Um, and, and, and they came with us. And then there was an Anglican group, Episcopal group, that got the right foot of fellowship because they started speaking in tongues and stuff in their church. And so there were about 35 of them that came and started with us. And then we had all these unchurched people that we had called. So it was just a crazy group, just a cra- cra- crazy kind of amalgamation. And within the first few weeks, I had delegations of the three, three groups that came, came in to talk to me. The first one was from the church that planted us. And we used to sing, I exalt thee. You know that song? I exalt, Jack Aford, I exalt thee. We sang it every week in the church that planted us. It was kind of the anthem that we started worship with. We had not sung it once yet in the two and a half months that we had started in our church. And I had a a small group came into my office, actually a guy and his wife who represented their small group who were the the. The, the wealthiest people in our, in fact, they, they sat on large wallets. They were just, they had a lot of money. And they came into the church and, and the, or into my office and they said, you know what? We like you, but we don't like the music here. And you know, honestly, I didn't like the music there either, but I couldn't throw it under the bus right now. I said, really, what, what don't you like? And they said, well, in our home church, we sang I Exalt Thee every week. And we've not sung it once since we've been here. And... Um, and we would like, we'd like to say that we, we'd love to know that in our church we're going to be able to sing that. And we're not saying we have to sing it every week, but if for us to stay here, we, we, we need to sing it at least maybe once a month. And me and my wisdom of age at about 32 years old, I said, you know what, the money's not for, or the, the, the music's not for sale here. Which ticked everybody off and a whole group left. Then another group came in and they were from the Word of Faith Church and they said, um, we like you, but when are we gonna do this stuff? I said, well, what's this stuff? They said, well, you know, we've not had any runners uh, and nobody's slain in the spirit and, and that just isn't happening in our church on the weekend. And I, um, I explained that while we believe in everything, that we don't do everything we know how to do every time we come together to have church. That was just a principle that we had. And I said, we're probably not going to be doing that on Sunday morning. And that's probably why your church closed down. I should never have said that. Once again, thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode and special thanks out to Pastor Greg Surratt for sharing that message with us. Now, if you want to connect with Century Leadership, you can find us on Twitter at Century underscore leader. You can find us on Facebook at Century Leadership, and you can always go and check out centuryleadership.com for more details. 
Don't miss out on the Century Leadership Experience, a one-year leadership development journey. This year's experience features three roundtables with today's great spiritual leaders, Larry Osborne of North Coast Church and the author of Sticky Teams, Phil Vischer, the creator of VeggieTales, and Rich and Robin Wilkerson of Trinity Church in Miami. Each of these roundtables is included in the experience, along with great resources and relationships that will last you a lifetime. You can join the experience for only $400 by going to centuryleadership.com. That's it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I am your host, Jordan Matthew Ward, signing off. Have a good day.